0: And Nicodemus, two guys who were uh, on the Jewish ruling council, he was put in Jesus' tomb. We'll pick up there next week with John 20. We didn't have time to really talk about what does it mean, why does it matter, what did Jesus' death accomplish, and we know the only reason Jesus' death matters is because he was raised from the dead. If he's still in the grave, Paul says we're going to be pitied above all people, we're making a liar of God, and we have no hope. We want to focus on Jesus' death, but the reason we're focusing on Jesus' death is because he was raised to life. So you know that, you keep that in mind. Jesus is first introduced in John 1 way back it was a year ago that we looked at this. So you've already forgotten John the Baptist introduces Jesus this way he says, "Look or behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Look, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the first public word that we have about who Jesus is. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John says that again in verse 36. And then at the very end of Jesus' life in chapter 19, something we've looked at the past two weeks, John makes a point. Matthew doesn't make it. Mark doesn't make it. Luke doesn't make it. John makes this point that Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, the day when all of the Jewish men in in Jerusalem are slaughtering a lamb for their family to eat the next day on the Passover. They're all slaughtering a lamb, and traditionally they slaughter that lamb at noon. And John makes a point, Matthew Dutton, Mark Dutton, Luke Dutton. Jesus is crucified at noon on the day of preparation. He wants us to make that connection, I think. And, and then he talks about Jesus and says his legs didn't get broken. Remember the Jewish, uh, the religious leaders, they, didn't, they wanted all the bodies off the crosses before this special Sabbath, this Passover Sabbath. They didn't want the bodies kind of polluting the Sabbath, so break the legs so they die quicker. They break the legs, the soldiers do, of the two thieves who are being crucified next to Jesus and they get to him and he's already dead. They don't break his legs. And John said that was to fulfill what was written in Exodus 12 when Moses telling the Israelites, here's how you take, here's how you treat this lamb that you're going to sacrifice, that you're going to kill. First thing of Jesus's public ministry, the very end of his life in his public ministry, we see this idea of Jesus as the Passover lamb. Can't talk about the whole story, but you remember a little bit about the Passover, right? That was the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God sends Moses, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't know who Yahweh is. Why should I do These guys are giving me some great bricks. Why should I let them go? And so God works these signs and wonders. We see them as plagues in Egypt. If you lived in Egypt, it would have been a plague. The Nile turns to blood. There's frogs. There's flies, boils, gross, darkness, hail. And then it all culminates in this tenth plague. God says to Moses, about midnight, an angel of death is going to move through the land. And I'm going to kill the firstborn son of Pharaoh and everybody in Egypt, all the way down to the slave girls, all the way down to the people sitting in prison. I'm going to kill the firstborn son of all of them and the firstborn of their cattle. But y'all, Israelites, you sacrifice a lamb... Without blemish, don't break any of the bones. Put the blood on your doorpost. And when this angel of death comes through, he'll pass over your house. That's why it's called the Passover. So that happens. The Israelites sacrifice lamb. They put the blood on the door. This angel of death comes moving through the land, passes over the house of all the Israelites, and kills the firstborn son of Pharaoh and everybody else in Egypt. Kills the firstborn of their livestock, and Pharaoh relents. He, is, he can't get the Israelites out fast enough. Go. He says, Go. Take whatever you want, just get out of here. And that's what the Jews are celebrating the week of Jesus' death. It's Passover week. That's what they're remembering. That's what they're celebrating. That Passover lamb was a substitute. That lamb that those fathers and husbands that they sacrificed, that lamb was killed in place of their firstborn son. You kill the lamb so your firstborn son doesn't have to die. And then God Sacrifices a firstborn son so that nobody has to die. The theological term is substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in our place, and he died to make us right with God. That's in John's mind. He wants us to see with the Father. There's lots of different ways to look at sin. We'll look at three really briefly this morning just to maybe help you for your own life to say it's not just the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world he's a lamb of God who takes away my sin and this maybe will help you dig a little bit deeper in that a new testament word for sin missed the mark so think of a bullseye on a dartboard any dart that doesn't hit that bullseye is a sin missing the mark what is the bullseye God's, Jesus says the two greatest commands are to love God and to love people. So anything that's not that is a sin. Paul says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is most fully revealed in the person of Jesus. So you could say every time I fall short of Jesus, I'm sinning. I'm missing the mark. Every time I live my life in a way other than Jesus would live my life if he were me. Well, that's a sin. Every time I do something that Jesus wouldn't do if he were me. Every time I say something that Jesus wouldn't say if he were me, every time I think something that Jesus wouldn't think if he was me, well, those are sins. And every time I don't do something that Jesus would do if he was me, well, that's a sin too. All of those places where I come up short, all of that is missing the mark. It's not just sins of commission, things that I do, sins of omission, things I don't do. Every time I act in a way contrary to loving God and loving people, or every time I withhold Love of God or love towards God and love towards people. I've sinned, I've fallen short. Revelation 20 talks about the books of the dead. So everybody who's ever lived is standing before this throne of God and everybody's got a book written about them. You can think of it like a ledger. And on one side, it's all the places that we missed the mark. All of the times that we fell short of the glory of God. All of the times that we failed to love God and love people or that we did things that we're not loving towards God and others. And on the other side all the times you hit the bullseye. Anybody want to read their book? No. I don't want anything to do with mine. Jesus takes away the sins of the world. He blots out everything. We'll just call it on the left. He blots out everything on the left side of that ledger. Those things are no longer credited or debited from my account. Those sins are no longer counted against me. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Remember the whole idea of substitute. Jesus died, so I don't have to. That's what it means for the Lamb of God to take away my sins. He takes all of the, everything written on that left side of the page, all of the places that I've missed the mark, and he blots out those sins completely. He paid the price that I owed, which is death, so that I could be free to receive the gift from him, which is life. Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. Sometimes thinking about, though, that can get a little legalistic almost. Think a lot about behavior. Something that's helpful for me, I've been a Christian since I was 12. I'm 44. It's been a long time for me to think relationally. Sin is not just missing the mark. Sin is what separates me from God. If eternal life is knowing God in Jesus whom God has sent. What God desires for me is what we just sang. I'm his child. I've been adopted into his family as a son, or in some of your cases, as a daughter. And what he wants is ongoing, intimate relationship with me, not just for me to get get out of hell free card when I die. Sin is what separates me. It's a chasm that I can't cross, or it's a, a wall that I can't scale or break through, whatever's the best picture for you. Sin relationally disconnects me from God. Now, I've been a Christian since I was 12, so I've been reconciled. I was adopted into God's family 32 years ago. And yet there are times where I get out of step, I get out of sorts, I get out of sync with him. So many of you are are married. You know what that feels like? You don't want to divorce your spouse. You just don't really want to look at him right now. And that's kind of how we can get with God at times. It reminds me of John 13 when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and Peter says, hey, wash all of me. And Jesus says, you don't need all of you wash. You've already had a bath. We just need to wash your feet and and you're clean. This is like when your feet get dirty. You're a Christian. You've been reconciled with God, but there's still things that cause us to get out of sync with him. That create relational distance. God has said, here's some things that separate y'all from me, or that separate me from you. They're universal sins. This is just me. This isn't the Bible, so you can put an asterisk next to it. They're universal sins. These things are sins for all people, in all places, for all times. Hatred is always a sin. Adultery is always a sin. Envy is always a sin. Greed is always a sin. Arrogance is always a sin. Those things are always sins, always, for all people and, and, and in all places and, and for all times. But I think there's personal sins, and we can put that in quotes. Paul says in Romans 14, 23, anything that's not done from faith is a sin. Brandon's in my line of sight. There are things that may be a sin for Brandon that are not a sin for me. And there may be things that are a sin for me that are not a sin for Brandon. Hatred's a sin for both of us. Gossip's a sin for both of us. Selfishness is a sin for both of us. God has said that. This separates me from you. But there are things that separate me from him that may not separate Brandon from him. And that makes some of us nervous. It's squishy. It's that gray and we don't love gray. We can take alcohol. We'll just go into the weeds. Drunkenness is always a sin for everybody at all times. The Bible says don't get drunk with wine. And I would say... Also, beer and liquor. Put them in there. Don't get drunk with any of it. Always a sin. There's no asterisk that says except on your 21st birthday or except when you've had a really great day or when you've had a really bad day. Drunkenness is always a sin, period, dot, the end. But the Bible doesn't say don't have a drink. If you want a margarita with your fajitas or a beer with your pizza, the Bible doesn't necessarily say don't do that. For some people, to have one drink violates their conscience, They can't do it from a place of faith. And so for them, it would be a sin. For other people, before the Lord, their conscience is clear. They can have a drink. Nobody gets to get drunk. It's always a sin. But there are people who can have a drink. And it doesn't violate their conscience. Before the Lord, they would say, if Jesus is here, I'm I'm asking him if he wants a beer. Like, there's no shame. There's no guilt. I feel clear before the Lord that this is okay. It's not a sin for them. And we can debate the wisdom of all of that, but that's reality. There's gray there. And there's lots of areas where we live our lives where there's gray. How much money can you hold on to and how much do you give away? What do you watch and what do you read and what do you listen to? Pornography's a sin for everybody. You don't get to say, well, that doesn't violate my conscience. and your conscience is messed up. <laughs> because God says, no, no. There's one place for sex, and that's marriage. It has nothing to do not your television or the internet. But there's some things that people can watch and they may say, this movie's okay. Some people say no R-rated movies and some people say, well, it depends. And again, it's squishy. And that makes a lot of us nervous. Are you asking the question before the Lord? Paul says, not even things that are permissible, everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Are you even asking the Lord, God, is this Okay is this okay for me? Is this at all? Is this separating me from you? Is this causing me to get out of step or out of sync with you? Or even how about this? Is this causing me to walk a little bit slower than you want me to walk? If, you, if my desire is to pursue you fully and deeply and to have as intimate a relationship as I can have with you, this side of your return, is this helpful or not? Do you ever, do you look through that grid for anything? Asking God, what about what I watch, what I listen to, what I read, what I drink, what I eat, how much of all of those things. It may not be spelled out as a universal sin in the Bible, but if you can't do it from a place of faith, if you're violating your conscience, and I would say if you're avoiding the question, you're violating your conscience. Give him a chance to speak. Into that area. last thing I think about this too as someone who's been a Christian for a long time Jesus paid the penalty for my sin if you want everything to start with the same letter he removes the partition the thing that separates me from the father but he also breaks the power of sin Jesus says whoever sins is a slave to sin we don't really believe that but that's what Jesus said the person who sins is a slave to sin if we believed it we wouldn't sin quite as much and the one the son sets free is free indeed so Jesus set me free from sin, from the power of sin, and yet I can find myself in my thought life, in my emotional life, in my relational life, my financial life, in my physical life, I can find myself kind of putting myself back under the yoke of sin as a slave driver, reattaching myself, cuffing myself to sin. Y'all remember this, the parable in Luke 15, prodigal son, there's a younger son He's a jerk. He says to his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. He goes off and he squanders it in wild living, and you can fill in the blank there. And at one point, he comes to his senses and realizes the servants have it better than he does, servants of his father. So he comes home, and his dad sees him and runs out to meet him. The ring, the robe, the fattened calf, the whole deal. And then there's an older son. Crosses every T, dots every I, checks every box. He's a good son by all outward accounts. And he's outside working like he always is. And hears all the commotion inside. And asks the servant what's going on. He says, your brother's home. And he's ticked and he won't go inside, which is incredibly disrespectful to his dad. And just like his dad ran outside to meet the younger son, the dad goes outside to meet the older son and says, why aren't you coming in? And he's mad, mad at his dad and says, I can't believe you did this. I've been slaving. That's the word. I've been slaving for you all these years. Crossed every T, dotted every I, checked every box. You give him the fattened calf. He gets filet. You won't even give me and my friends a goat. You won't even give us hot dogs to eat. He wouldn't call him his brother, this son of yours, wasted all your money. And the dad says, this brother, trying to Remind him of a relationship. This brother of yours, he was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost and he's found. And, and, and for you, everything I've got, it's always been yours. For many of us, when we think sin, do you remember like your youth group days? What were the big ones? No smoking, which would be vaping now, right? No drinking, no sleeping with your girlfriend, no cussing. You avoid those and you're good. You do those things and you go to church, you're a hypocrite. You do those things, and you don't go to church, and you're just a heathen. Like, those are the categories. All outward sins, sins of the flesh. Don't do, the, like, don't do those things, for sure. They're sins. Those are sins of the flesh. Don't engage in them. But for many of us, like I think about me, I've been a Christian for a long time More, We don't have the energy. It's not necessarily because we're holy. We're just over the hill. So, but... Sins of the heart. Older brother sins. These things are harder to discern, aren't they? They're easier to justify and to nurture. Pride, judgmentalism, self-righteousness, covetousness, greed. They may never have a, an outward expression, or we can always put kind of a veneer on the outward expression of those things. And that sin can maintain power in our lives. Long after we've kind of left the sins of youth or the, the sins of wild living behind and we're giving ourselves a pat on the back. Are those sins of the heart, those older brother sins, still controlling you this morning? So again, those, those ones that are so easy for us to justify and, and, and to even nurture in our hearts. We have a couple of minutes left. We're going to do this. I want to close with communion. Communion's a reminder. This is what Jesus has done. His body broken for us. That's what this bread is. He died as a substitute for you. His body's broken, so yours doesn't have to be. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. He instituted a new covenant, a new way of relating with God. It's not 613 laws that you got to do your best to keep the holy spirit lives within you he writes the law of god on your heart love him and love people and he doesn't just tell you what to do he empowers you to do it it's a great deal it's a better way of relating and so we're going to take it some time and we're going to pray through some prayers of confession they're not going to be up on the screen you're not going to repeat after me you're just going to pray in your own heart and as we do that that can be scary you may say i'm not necessarily interested in that right now this reminds you whatever comes up is already covered he takes away all of your sins, not just some of them. They're all covered already. And so if there's something the Holy Spirit convicts you of, for some of you, you're going to have a thought. And you're going to say, you know what? That's, I need to deal with that. Some of you, it's going to be more of a feeling. You're not going to hear God with your ears. You're going to hear Him internally, your heart and your mind. And when those things come up, be reminded it's all already covered. You don't need to worry about it. It's already taken care of. We want to acknowledge the places where we fall short. Acknowledge the places where our feet have gotten dirty. Acknowledge the places where sin is still exercising control in our life. And we want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has already purchased for us. So if you would close your eyes with me, please. And if you're willing, you can pray these things in your heart. You don't need to pray them out loud. If you're not, it's okay. Here's the first one. Holy Spirit, would you search me and know me? Would you show me if there are any offensive ways in my life? I want to know. And then we're going to walk through those three categories. First, Holy Spirit, would you show me where I'm missing the mark? And most likely that will be an act. Maybe not, but most likely. Kind of a discreet instance. If something came to mind, just acknowledge it. God, I acknowledge that's a sin. I want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me. Second, Holy Spirit, would you show me where I'm out of step with you? Where we're out of sorts, where we're out of sync. Show me where my feet are dirty. Most likely, that will be an ongoing. It'll be more like a, like an ongoing practice. You maybe even call it a habit. I'd encourage you to give him access into the gray areas. Holy Spirit, I want to know anything, even if it's permissible, if it's not beneficial, show me. Same thing, God, I acknowledge that's separating me from you. Father, I want to know you and I want to know Jesus as deeply and fully as I can. So anything that gets in the way, give me the grace to lay down, deepen my hunger and my thirst for you. Last. Holy Spirit, show me if there's any place where sin is exercising control, power in my life, my thought life, my emotional life, my relational life, physical life, financial life, show me, work life, Those of you who've been Christians for a while, you may want to be thinking specifically, "God, show me my heart, show me those sins of the heart, those older brother sins that are so easy to justify and rationalize. It probably be an attitude that's brought to your mind or your heart. Maybe not, but probably. God, I acknowledge that's a sin. I thank you, Jesus, that your death set me free from the power of sin. Forgive me for putting the handcuffs back on. I want to live as one who is free indeed. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you willingly took our place. We thank you that, Father, you are reconciling each one of us to yourself. Through Jesus on the cross. We thank you that you were demonstrating your deep, profound love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And my prayer, Holy Spirit, for every student, every child, every adult in this room, as as we come forward and take communion, that you would apply to us all of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection and crown us with love and compassion. I pray for those who are in the pit this morning, that they would be lifted up, that you fulfill our desires with good things so our youth is renewed like the eagles. I pray for those who are weary. Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts and in our lives now, in Jesus' name, amen. Here's how we take communion. If you're helping, if you go ahead and come forward, you'll break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. This is gluten-free communion and it will remain here. Uh, And we also, after you take communion, we'll have ministry teams here in the corner, if that's you, if you'd come forward. We'll pray with you about anything at all that that you have going on. You may have come in with a need, and we want to honor that and give you space to pray. You may have had some conviction during that personal time, and sometimes it can be great just to confess that to another person. No one's going to blab what you told them, but sometimes just saying it out loud kind of breaks the power um, of that sin in your life, and they'll just pray for God Uh, to remind you that you're forgiven and to walk in wholeness. We also want to pray for everyone who's sick. We do that every uh, month when we take communion. Uh, If you have any condition, any sickness, we want to pray for you. And the teams are going to make a little cross on the backside of your hands with oil. And they're just going to pray simply for God to heal you. You don't have to give your whole medical history. You just tell them where you're hurting and they'll pray. Uh, Some of you have chronic conditions and you forget, like when we do this, because you just live with it. So let this be a time that you remember and receive prayer. Just receive prayer. We'll see what God wants to do in your body. And then Kaylee will dismiss us in probably about five minutes when we're done. We need more ministry teams. If you're on the ministry team and this isn't your week, we need more than there. Thanks. A couple, Maybe if we get two on each side, that'd be great. If the teams are taken, when you come forward, you just sit down and they'll free up. Uh, pretty quickly. You want them to stand? You guys stand? Y'all come forward as Kim directs you. When you get back to your seat, you can worship along with Kaylee and then she'll dismiss us.